The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. I'm pleased to welcome Eli Rosenblatt to the show today. Hi, Eli. Hi there, Francie. Welcome to the show. This is going to be so much fun. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So Eli is a licensed private investigator from the state of Oregon. He spent a lot of times, a lot of time looking at the ways TV books and movies have influenced our thinking about private investigators. So today we're going to be examining that myth. But first, uh, Eli, tell us about your life and how you became a PI. Sure. I was very lucky to land an internship right out of college in the early 90s in San Francisco, where I grew up. Really? I yeah, didn't know I grew, that. grew up in San Francisco um, and um, landed an internship at the California Appellate Project, which is the law firm that acts as a resource bank for all the attorneys in the state of California that do death penalty appeals. Very so, good. I'm quite familiar with it. Yeah, uh, CAP is a great resource and some amazing attorneys there and, you know, dozens and dozens of really interesting cases at running all the time. And as an intern there, the program was very, uh, it was an intensive immersion into the world of criminal defense appeals in general, but certainly specifically the ins and outs of how the death penalty works and how capital appeals are, are run and all the, all the inner workings of building a case um, between attorneys and paralegals and investigators. And that, that mm-hmm. internship taught me more about uh, doing difficult family interviews and prosecutorial misconduct and hunting down difficult to find records probably than I've learned in my many years since as an investigator. I, I just, I am so thankful for that opportunity. Um, they just really had great people in to help us all with all the different steps and figure out what records were needed and figure out who to go to and how, and they're just a great resource. So in that year, I learned enough that I could then take it on the road, so to speak, and I got hired on for a particular uh, appeal case uh, in California and was, had the luck of uh, working for one of the bigger law firms in the state on one particular case for mm. the better part of a year again after that. And then 
when that finished up, I went and did other kinds of investigation, family law, uh, tenants' rights, um, police abuse cases, a number of other types of things for some attorneys, but also under licensed private investigators there in California. So that was, that was definitely exciting and very you know, engaging work. Um, it was right before then the, the dot-com boom, and I got kind of caught up in that. Um, I have always been a total nerd and a computer <laughs> professional, so I jumped on that bandwagon, so to speak, um, and got and started my own business doing custom installation of home theater and computer networks and uh, phone systems for mm. small businesses and uh, medium businesses and nonprofits. And that was really engaging and fascinating, but it meant a lot of driving all over the Bay Area. So I, for sure. I uh, tried to do some other things. And then I met my wife, and we moved up here to Oregon in 2002, and I hadn't even really thought about starting my investigation practice back up. Uh, did some other things. I was with my now eight-year-old for a couple of years just as a full-time dad, which is an incredibly demanding job uh-huh. compared to any of the other kind of work that I've ever done. <laughs> um, right. It actually taught me a great deal uh, <laughs> about re- the important lessons we need to know as investigators. Um, I'll talk more about that later, but I okay. just, uh, just happened upon you know, going back into my practice, we have a, a good friend who's an attorney who found out that I used to be an investigator and she needed someone. And she said, look, if you get your license again, I will have plenty of work for you. And that was in 2007 and I haven't had a day off since. <laughs> oh, interesting. Well, I see in your bio, Eli, that you were with the medical examiner's office. Is that right? No, I did an uh, a really great extensive training with okay. the Oregon State Medical Examiner, um, which they were very kind to open up beyond uh, sheriffs and other uh, deputy medical examiners throughout the state. So the the state medical examiner here in Oregon is very keen on moving away from the system of coroners and towards mm-hmm. medical examiners, the more professional, more scientifically engaged method of dealing with death investigations. Interesting. And as part of that, they offer a, a week-long intensive training in doing um, really excellent, thorough death investigations from the beginning to the end uh, that is designed to empower all of the folks, be they in rural counties with just one doctor, all the way up to the very busy offices uh, for medical investigation in the highly populated counties in the big cities, um, and everybody in between for doing death investigations. So um, it's the course that the medical examiner puts together for all those different law enforcement, and medical professionals who would now, be is something, the... Eli, is this something anyone can attend? No, it isn't. Um, you need to be either a doctor who's going to be a deputy, you know, a medical examiner for the county that you're in, or a law enforcement person who's going to provide that role or the role of a death investigator in your county. Um, and the medical examiner office is the medical examiner's office decided then to open it up 
beyond just those two attorneys and investigators, mm-hmm. uh, professional investig- licensed professional investigators, who deal with those issues in their cases. So wow. I'm not a deputy. I'm, but you know, I'm not a. I'm not a. Uh, I'm not hired as a death investigator on existing um, murder investigations or, or suspicious death investigations. Rather, I have all the training that would be needed to perform that were I going to do that. Um, and that, that has helped me immeasurably I'm on sure. the aggravated murder cases that I have worked on for a number of attorneys since I'm then. I'm sure. And that gave you a certification in a medical uh, legal death investigator certification, right? That's exactly right, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Very interesting. So, um, and you have lots of certifications. I mean, it sounds like, have you gone into nonstop training? <laughs> yeah. You know, I take continuing education very seriously. And yeah. I wanted to be able to show the attorneys that I work for that I had a certain skill set and a, a, that I was able to perform certain kinds of work for them. Uh, certifications, while you know, getting too many of them can be kind of a, a, a game in and of itself and something I wouldn't take lightly, I, I think it's a good way to show the expertise that you have and to, um, to really join a community of like-minded people who have done their diligent work to uh, ensure that they are the people to go to in a certain area. So, for instance, as a certified fraud examiner, I've joined a community of people that are really super sharp uh, mm. understanding and l- finding and preventing fraud in all its various forms. Um, yeah, that's great. The mentor, it- that, that took me, the mentor that I have that took me in and taught me everything about becoming a, a certified fraud examiner and showed me the various ways that I could enter into that world, um, I'm so thankful to. That's great. And then you're a certified forensic interviewer. That's, That's another right. Certification. Yeah, the, the International Association of um, Interviewers. That, you know, I have to say that that is a credential that I, at, when I first looked at it, I thought, well, what is this really about? Because it's just, the, you know, just the, the basic skills that we all need to know as investigators when we're doing interviews. But I was really surprised to find all the new and different things that I didn't really understand about doing quality interviews. And um, the, the training and the, ex, you know, the, the training and the testing that was a part of getting that credential was so helpful because it taught me a lot of new and interesting information, a lot of new and interesting ideas mm. about how to do really quality interviews. But it also reinforced for me a lot of what I'd learned over the years right. uh, and, and put, put a lot of those lessons into really usable formats. And then you're a board-certified criminal defense investigator. Yeah, I am. The, the Criminal Defense Investigation Training Council in Florida, some great folks. I know you're very well familiar with yourself. Yes, Brandon um, Perron. Perron. Yes. Yeah, they just do some great work, and I really appreciate how they hold some very high standards for the type of work that we do because and we'll you know we'll get into this but the stereotype of the kind of work that we do is that it's shady and it's under the table and it's 
Mm-hmm. It's um, you know it's underhanded, and that we're always deceiving people, and that we're we're getting things we shouldn't get. And the training council is great for me because they really emphasize how this is a professional endeavor, and it's it's carried out by professionals, and um, it's something that we can really uh, be proud of. And I I'm very very glad to have been able to participate in the extensive training that they've provided. Yeah, um, they have the great reasonable training. doubt method that they have developed over the years. Again, yeah. both really taught me some great new information and gave me some really good perspectives on things that I had learned over the years. So I'm, I'm very proud to be part of that crew. Um, there are, uh, you know, they're uh, criminal defense, certified criminal defense investigators all over the country. Mm-hmm. I do happen to be one of the few here in the Northwest. And, you know, you're asking about all these certifications. I think it's interesting because there are certainly investigators who are colleagues of mine here in Portland, Oregon and up in Seattle who have been doing criminal defense investigations for much longer than I have who've not pursued this credential mm-hmm. and it doesn't mean that I, you know, I'm a better investigator than they are by any means, but it just means that they for whatever reason have decided that isn't something that they want to that's not how they want to promote themselves and that's not how they want to they don't want to join that uh that right. community, and I, I understand that, but I, I think it's I think it's a good thing for for investigators to do. I totally agree. I I agree more than you can even imagine. <laughs> so, uh, but along with all the investigative stuff, you're also Apple certified. Yeah, and- like I said, I'm a nerd, so <laughs> I've been doing some sort of computer professional stuff for years. Um, I was always the go-to person in the various jobs I held and various communities that I was a part of for um, troubleshooting and fixing and dealing with um, problems that people were having with their, either their computers or their networks or what have you. And in more recent years, I really focused in on Mac um, and then subsequently iOS um, for iPhones and iPads and so forth. And, um, when the training and the certifications became available for me to prove that, <laughs> if you will, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. show that I had that level of expertise, I jumped on it. And I actually looked around quite a bit for the kind of training that would take it another step, take it even deeper, um, because Apple has had training for years for mm-hmm. both the more entry level, you know, the support professional type people and sure. the more um, computer science kind of people, the network people, and I, I'm, that's not where I would go. But uh, I was looking for something that related more to investigations, and so I found that there was a certification developing for um, a Mac and iOS certified forensic examiner, and that's not from <laughs> Apple. It's from a company that is related to Apple down in San Jose um, called Black Bag Technologies, and they... They are the uh, sort of the, the main think tank, if you will, on foren- computer forensics in the Mac and iOS world. They are developing all the best tools in that area and all the best training. Um, the folks that I trained with there have you know, combined hundreds of years of law enforcement experience um, in computer labs, you know, in crime labs all over the world. 
um, in federal and state agencies, and um, they're just some great folks to work with. And the training, the folks that I was alongside doing the training came from all kinds of backgrounds, um, legal backgrounds, you know, attorneys and paralegals, as well as uh, folks, of course, from the majority of it, of course, was folks from uh, crime labs, computer crime labs throughout California and elsewhere. I can see that you were drawn to that like a magnet. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I, I, really, I, I really enjoy getting down into the details and finding out what there is to find out. Uh, that's pretty pretty funny. I can, I can just talking to you for five minutes here. I can see that, that happened. And then you're you're also a notary public, correct? Yeah, that's Oregon? just something yeah. I you know I really appreciated that the attorneys that I worked with over the years very often needed someone to notarize documents and just be that person that they could go to. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't use that as nearly as much as the you know, the paralegals and other folks that I work with from time to time, but it does come in handy for sure. Every once in a while, for sure. Yeah. Great. Eli, we need to take a quick break, but your, your background is fa- just fascinating. And, and so do you do uh, forensic examination as part, part of your business model? Absolutely. I'm, okay. I have a couple cases running right now that are very, very interesting. Which I can't tell all right. you all about, but I, I can yeah. tell you a little bit about it after the break. Okay. Why don't, um, why don't you give your website? People might be interested in going and looking at I know you also have a lot of articles there, so they would be interested in looking at that. Sure. EliRosenblatt.com. It's E-L-I-R-O-S-E-N-B-L-A-T-T.com. Okay, great. We'll be right back with Eli with much more information. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com IRB Focus, created by IRB Search, brings together the best data in an entirely new system. New features and data, all in a responsive format, gives professional investigators a better tool to close cases. The Just Launch Connections Network even gives secure opportunities for collaboration and job referrals. Learn more about IRB Focus at irbsearch.com or call us at 1-800-447-2112 to get started. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! 
If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. My guest, Oregon licensed private investigator Eli Rosenblatt, is here to talk about the myths surrounding private investigators. But before we get into that, uh, Eli, I just want to recognize uh, you mentioned the California Pellet Project. Michael Millman just passed away uh, not long ago, and he was just the, the guiding light for CAP. And I just want to mention him because he was a great guy, and uh, he's going to really be missed by that organization and by. Um, legal professionals really around the country. Yeah, he was an inspiration, absolutely. I really appreciated my time there and all the people I worked with and he was a he was a great leader. Yeah. So, all right, so let's talk about private investigators. I have to ask you, do you own a Ferrari? <laughs> uh no. Really? I do not. You don't. Huh? In fact, at this moment I don't myself have a car. My wife and I have a single car between us, so I mostly get around on the bike and the bus and the and walking, but yeah. Also, I'm fortunate to live in Portland, Oregon. We have incredible public transit and car to go, the car share there, thing. There could be a whole series done about a PI on a bike. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, so um, there are so many myths about private investigators. So let's just, I'm just going to let you start because you are sure. the one that's done the background on this and you've made all the connections. Sure, so, sure. Well, you know, when I started doing this work, I think that my impression of it was very much guided by the stereotypes um, that yeah. my parents and my, and my older siblings' generations grew up with. And that was... Uh, you know Humphrey Bogart in the movies that he, in which he portrayed an, an investigator, um, which back then they called a, a, a detective or a private dick. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and by, you know, still by our standards now ancient, but back then, you know, fresh perspectives um, like Magnum PI. Right. And those guys um, and a few others really sort of uh, hammered home this mythology that the investigator was first and foremost a lone wolf, right? They operated by themselves. They were tough and gritty. And when, it, when the chips were down, they might have had some compassion, but that was not their guide. You know, that was not what they were guided by all the time. Um, they would cut all kinds of corners. And their work was always fascinating and always mm-hmm. compelling. And they were always on the right side. Um, right. You know, they never had to make tough calls. Uh, if they had to make tough calls, they were always uh, on the side of, of the righteous. So those were, you know, that and just the mystique of, of their, their masculinity and, their, and their, uh, their confidence really formed, I think, most of our impressions of, of what it was to be a private investigator. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And some of those notions started to be challenged for me in the early part of my practice when I was in California, but they got challenged even more when I uh, moved to Oregon and started my practice back up in, in the l- later part of the 2000s and just learned about who these folks really are. And I have to say, recently, I went through my address book to all of my colleagues, because I was just curious, and I counted up all of the different professional investigators that I know, and the percentage of them that were parents of young, young kids or teenagers was mm-hmm. overwhelming. Hmm. Um, they, these are folks who, in so many ways, don't match that original blueprint, if you will, that stereotype. Um, right. They're folks who have to make difficult choices around what kind of work they accept. They're folks who spend hours and hours and hours doing mind-numbing tasks that these Uh guys never had to do. Excuse me. They're folks who have to balance all different kinds of work and activities to, you know, maintain their sanity and to have a healthy family life, um, and engage in other kinds of pursuits. Um, they're folks who are really varied in their interests and the kind of work they take on and the, the kinds of um, backgrounds they have. I, I know investigators who come from um, you know, psychotherapy backgrounds. I know investigators who are all about languages. I have other mm-hmm. investigator colleagues who came at this from law enforcement um, and that's certainly another piece of the stereotype is that investigators are like an arm of law enforcement, or that we have all the same powers as law enforcement, and that just couldn't be further from the truth. Mm-hmm. As I've looked at this uh, more recently, you know, now that my practice has been going for a number of years, and I've built up a great network of contacts, and I've gotten to know all different kinds of investigators who do workplace investigations and criminal defense and uh, insurance and fraud and all these different things, I've come to just learn so much more about what's available and what types of work get done. And I've, 
I've just been struck by the more modern stereotypes of investigators because while Humphrey Bogart and Magnum, you know, the, the characters he played and Magnum P.I., they, they really uh, kind of set the, you know, they're, they're kind of the benchmark, if you will. The more recent stereotypes that we've been given of investigators are really different. They're, by and large, these wily, um, you know, very compelling, really kind of Hollywood good looks young women. Um, they are mm-hmm. folks like um, Veronica Mars, of course, who's just, I love that show. <laughs> I gotta say that. Was, okay. You know, that was a terrific, uh, engaging, fun story. Um, yeah. And there are folks like um, the investigators in the shows, um, White Collar and Suits. Um, and then, of course, Kalinda, Kalinda Sharma from yeah. The Good Wife. Who, it's fascinating, you know, most people now that I tell, uh, it, the, the stereotype has moved. It used to be that the folks I would tell I'm, a, I'm an investigator, they'd say, oh, you mean like Magnum P.I.? And I would then go in to tell them how, no, it's not at all like Magnum P.I. Right. Nowadays, right. most of the folks I tell I'm an investigator, they say, oh, you mean like Kalinda, right. I'm a good wife. Exactly. And I'd say, well, in, in a few ways, maybe. <laughs> but, yeah. again, these, these young women... Um, they, their, their lives, their day-to-day work as investigators is in many ways so different from the work that we do. Um, the, the chief among those ways, though, is all of those characters, and this is just a function of how Hollywood has to, has to work, but all of those characters have exactly the right information that is needed at exactly the right time <laughs> And it took them almost nothing to get it. Yeah, <laughs> and right. I guess, got to say, anybody out there who is interested in becoming an investigator or has just started their practice um, or just reinforcing this, this notion for those of us who have been doing it for years, that is just not the case. <laughs> this work is well, not sexy. I mean, it can be from time to time, occasionally. Uh, but for the most part, this is a job like any other where you've got to work hard to get good results and you've got to be professional. And most of the times, you're not going to, most of the times when you need it, you're not going to get that crucial nugget of information. That's the, you know, that's the, the parts per million. It's the, it's, the, it's the golden thing that will happen once in a while. But for the most part, you've got you to plug away at the stacks and stacks of five-inch binders of exactly. cell phone tower records and trial right. transcripts. Um, you know, you got to do that due diligence and just dig down and find everything you can before maybe one little piece of it will become actually usable. And then that one little piece that you were so proud of finding um, that might be usable uh, many times, I won't say nine times out of ten, but many, many times, won't end up being used at trial mm-hmm. or being right. used at the deposition or the mm-hmm. hearing where you needed to, where you thought maybe you would have a home run. Um, it just doesn't work that way. And Kalinda is never shown as reading uh, 10,000 pages of discovery or uh, spending hours writing reports after she's done an interview. <laughs> exactly. Or, or standing in line or standing at the courthouse, in line at the courthouse waiting for the records office <laughs> to open or to get her files. I mean, that, I have to say that that's where I get to socialize sometimes with investigators I don't see for a while is waiting in line at that interminable courthouse records office. I mean, 
things are changing in that area. Obviously, I know as, as you've had shows on talking about going paperless and so forth, yeah. um, things are definitely changing in that arena. But, uh, you know, so often our work entails just um, sifting through reams and reams of paper to find what we're looking for. Well, I will say, like- though, that, you know, Veronica Mars and these other investigators and certainly Kalinda Sharma, there is one thing about them and about those stereotypes that really rings true for us professional investigators today. And that is the variety of the types of skills they need to have. Their skill set is That's much, true. much wider uh, than either Magnum P.I. or those characters that Humphrey Bogart played. Mm-hmm. They have That's to be right. adept at a lot of different kinds of endeavors. They have to have a, some familiarity, at least, with a lot of different areas. And they, they also have to be much more adaptable, and they need to be able to fit in and get along with all different kinds of people. You know, I know you've had guests on who've talked about this phenomenon before, but I don't think it can ever be overstated that as professional investigators, we need to cultivate the skill of being able to be as comfortable talking uh, in detail about financial records with a you know, suit-and-tie CEO mm-hmm. of a big company in a boardroom as we do uh, perhaps even that afternoon um, with a homeless person uh, who we're interviewing exactly. on a case about a crime that happened on the street um, and everything in between. You know, we've, we've, um, we've learned over the years that that's being able to uh, sort of be a chameleon and really meet people where they are at, not to necessarily fake it and be just like them. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking mm-hmm. about the skill of being able to really meet people where they're at and have that kind of compassion and that understanding of their circumstances, their reality. That well, the will other take big you further issue, in investigation than anything else, I think. Yeah, and the other big issue, Eli, and I know that you will agree with this, is as as our country becomes more integrated with people from all over the world, you have to be able to adapt to cultures immediately and Absolutely. and recognize their customs and not offend them. Respect Absolutely. their customs, not offend Absolutely. them, and make sure that, uh, you know, you, if... If you're not sure, ask. They appreciate you asking. Yes, yes, indeed. And I will say one other thing about that stereotype of, of Veronica and Kalinda and those others, and that is that <clears throat> much like the previous stereotypes that we were given, they are lone wolves. They mm-hmm. do all this work on their own. They are out there getting the information they need just by their wits alone. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very rarely do I find that that is the case in the work that I do. Yes, uh, you know, the private part <laughs> of private investigator means that I, a lot of the time, I'm working on my own. I have to keep professional secrets. I have to make sure that the confidentiality of the, mm-hmm. the work product that I create for the attorney that I'm working with is maintained and, you know, all of that. But more often than not, I'm working as a team. I'm, right. I'm getting together with the attorney and the paralegals and or the other investigators that I'm working with on a case, and we're divvying up the tasks. We're, you know, no, no, no one of us is going to have the glory. 
there's no uh, more often than not there's no money shot that one person will will get as this hail mary and be the hero. Um, more often, it's really just really delegating the difficult work and all of us pulling together mm-hmm. and you know working as a team to figure out what needs to be done, how it needs to be done, and uh, sharing the responsibility and then sharing the fruits of that. That's absolutely true. You're working collaboratively with the attorney, usually, particularly on criminal defense cases. Absolutely. I see that probably more often than not. Uh, civil trials, maybe, civil torts. Um, but, yeah, it, it is collaborative. Eli, what is the most often asked question you get? Oh, well, you mean in the cocktail party context of like, yeah, what it's like party to be on the PI? Or in the, or in the more professional context, like from an attorney? No, uh, in the general citizen question out on the yeah. street. Well, I'd have to say it's something along the lines of, can you find my ex? Okay. <laughs> or, you know, even if they're not actually wanting me to do something like that, which we don't do, that's the other stereotype that we have to challenge. Um, it's just they're curious because they, you know, what they see on the on the big screen and the small screen is that we can get anything on anybody anytime and we can do it for anybody just at the drop of a hat and nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, there are, excuse me, there are professional standards we have to follow. There are ethical guidelines we're beholden to um, both in terms of our reputation, but certainly also our licensing, at least in the state of Oregon, private investigators are licensed by the department, this, you know, the State Department of Public Safety, and we have to follow very um, stringent guidelines around what kind of information we can access when. I will say that, thankfully, uh, you know, thanks to a lot of the hard work that lobbyists like yourself have done over the years, uh, we have access to a lot of great information that they don't have access to in other places. I was talking to a colleague in Canada recently, who was saying, you know, we can't access, he was challenging myths there to say, no, unlike on TV, we can't access driver information, driver's records and, you know, Department of Motor Vehicles information. And I said, well, actually, that's a myth that is true here. I mean, we, uh, on almost every case I work, that's something we have to pull is, is driving records. And um, that, you know, of course, but then with that comes a certain level of responsibility. And that's, I exactly. think, another piece that's missing in that mythology is that, those records are just thrown around and, you know, the, the, the cavalier way that they get them because of their law enforcement contacts or what have you, that is, you know, that is by and large um, not the case for most of us professional investigators. We have to, we have to get that information um, through the proper channels, and then once we have it, we have to take care of it to make sure it isn't released uh, to anybody but the attorney we're working for and... Um, you know, I, we've said you and I on this on this on this interview a number of times now that we're working for attorneys. I, I would clarify that certainly there are colleagues of mine who work a lot for the general public. I don't tend to do that, and I think most of the investigators I know mm-hmm. tend to work for attorneys. Um, right. Once in a while, we might take a case for someone who's not represented, but that's rare and it's short-lived. I would say that almost all the casework I do is for attorneys. Yeah. True. Uh, we're ne- 
Leah, we need to take another break. We're going to pause just briefly. Don't go away. Eli will be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. IRB Focus, created by IRB Search, brings together the best data in an entirely new system. New features and data, all in a responsive format, gives professional investigators a better tool to close cases. The Just Launch Connections Network even gives secure opportunities for collaboration and job referrals. Learn more about IRB Focus at irbsearch.com or call us at one 800 447 2112 to get started. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll free right now at 1 866 472 5787. 1 866 472 5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. <laughs> You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Fun today to have Eli Rosenblatt uh, today talking about what a professional investigator is today, the contemporary investigator, versus what we have always grown up to believe and see in the movies, such as Jim Rockford, for example. Huh, Eli? Yeah. (laughs) You know, Jim Rockford, if you remember, he was a former convict. I forgot that, yes. Yeah, he was falsely imprisoned. Evidently, but he was a former convict. So, so a lot of our uh, a lot of our opinions have been formed by James Garner as he played Jim Rockford, another person, yeah. another great person, by the way, who's passed away recently, James Gardner. And and how about uh, how about Mike Hammer? Mickey Splain's Mike Hammer. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, I, I had. That. I had Stacy Keach, who played Mike Hammer, on my show a few years ago. Um, oh, really? Yeah, he was fabulous, and it. Oh, great! 
And as it turned out, you know, the music for this show is Harlem Nights. It's an arrangement of Harlem Nights. And that was the, the theme music from Mickey Splain. Oh. Or from my camera, rather. From my camera. And when he was on the show, it turned out that Stacy Keach was the co-arranger of that version of Harlem Nights. And he played it on his keyboards during the show. It was so oh, cool. That's great. That's <laughs> so great. So, yeah. So, I mean... It, the, you know, these, these guys have developed great characters, but as you've aptly pointed out, it isn't the real world. Right. Kalinda exactly. Sharma is, does a great job portraying her character, but it's really not what we do. No, it's just not. And, you know, and, and another way that it's not really that's fascinating to me is that, like I said, they, they work all by themselves. Um, <clears throat> but they also, you know, they... They have all the best gear. <laughs> they have all the best tools, and they, you know, they know exactly how to use them all the time. How many times have we been out in the field and stuff just fails, or we have to improvise because, you know, we have ran out of batteries? Or right. in the real world, things just things don't go as planned, and you have to you have to really kind of sometimes go by the seat of your pants. And I I, I find that it, that's kind of what makes them fun to watch, but. You know, people who want to understand this work um, need to kind of look beyond that. Exactly right. You know, you're talking about mounds of paperwork and all that. I have a perfect example of what you were talking about. I was in Staples the other day copying about 1,500 pages for an attorney. And this yeah. woman was sitting there. I'd been there a couple hours. And this woman was sitting there, and, and she finally said, "What?" asked me what I did, <laughs> of course. <laughs> and when I said private investigator, she said, you've got to be kidding. She said, you've just destroyed my thoughts of what a private investigator does. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and... You know, it's, it's interesting, I think, that not only that was because you were standing there making copies, but probably to a certain extent because you're a woman. Um, sure. You know, like, like sure. I was saying before, the stereotype is this lone wolf. It's this man who is, you know, un- unconnected um, and, and really um, operates all on his own. And um, I, I got to, you know, give some props to the writers who've done these, who've created these great, empowered women characters um, as investigators, but um, I would say that, that there's still some catch-up to do there because, like I said, a, a large, large number of the investigators that I work with are, are moms. You know, they're people who have come from other careers mm-hmm. or they started out doing investigation young, but they wanted to have families along the way, and they, you know, they, they had to juggle all that, um, Kalinda and, and Veronica Mars, they don't, they don't have to juggle those things. Right, to, that's right. You know, so, so. so you often get asked about cheating husbands or wives. That would be, you would say that would be your number one question? I would say very often, yeah. I get asked, like, what's it like to, you know, either can you do this or what's it like to um, sneak around to try and find uh, cheating husbands? And I would say, I would say that, I have done almost none of that kind of work in my, you know, not not ancient, but, you know, pretty long career doing investigative work so mm-hmm. far. Mostly um, I do all the other kinds of work that professional investigators are called on to do, but relatively little surveillance. I have some colleagues who I think are the best in the business, 
uh, at surveillance. And I work with them or I farm that stuff out. And I, you know, there are lots of folks who, for whom that's all they do. Um, but, I don't but find you know, it to not, be all that not, rewarding. Yeah, not many actually do the cheating husband's wife's thing. I mean, yeah. the people usually that do, are doing surveillance are uh, doing surveillance for workers' comp fraud or something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, fact, I don't, I, I mean, just, yeah. Yeah, I just Go had ahead. a, I was, uh, I attended the uh, gathering here in Oregon, the Oregon chapter of the International Association of Special Investigation Units. Um, they had a, they have an, you know, an annual conference where they, bring in speakers and they have a vendor fair and everything. And I, it was great to meet some of those folks and, and to re-meet some of those people. And I just appreciate the work they do. Um, and they, they, to some degree, they are what that, they're meeting that stereotype for people. And, um, you know, but, but then again, their world is so much more complicated than the stereotype that people have of what surveillance is actually about. Mm-hmm. You know, they have to deal with all kinds of, interesting and difficult to understand gear. They have to deal with all kinds of interesting and difficult, difficult to understand uh, laws and procedures. Mm-hmm. They have to interact with all different types of risk professionals and you know, attorneys doing arcane work that you, know, you wouldn't even recognize as needing to have investigation with it's 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 fascinating but it, it you know it's it's like any other profession it's not um it's not this uh driving fast cars and um you know getting the bad guy right first time out the gate it's it's painstaking work it's detail oriented and it and those who succeed at it succeed at it not because of their tough exterior, but because their perseverance and their professionalism and their, their ongoing work to maintain relationships. Um, yeah, and you know, you know, Eli, I, don't, I, don't, I think probably the general public doesn't realize that we have to document everything we do. Exactly. With minute detail, which takes a lot of time. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So, so do you carry a handgun? I don't, actually. No. I don't I either. Have, do you few get colleagues asked that a- who are armed in Oregon. It's a whole different, it's a whole different scene. Do you get asked that often? I do. I think that's probably the next question that people ask is, um, you know, aren't you out there in some dangerous situations? Don't you need a? Don't you need to carry a gun? Right. I would say I, you know, I have been out in some situations where I felt like maybe this isn't the most safe environment. Uh, maybe this person who's who I'm going to serve a subpoena on might be someone that will get enraged or, you know, become violent. Um, but I, I, you know, I don't put myself, I don't put myself or my colleagues to, to the extent possible in situations that are, that I know are going to be unsafe. Um, How about he- pepper spray or any other weapon? Do you carry any, anything at all? I don't actually. No, I See, haven't. I Fortunately, yeah. I haven't needed to. I don't either, and people find that amazing. I like to say, do you know Cynthia Hamilton in Oregon? She's an investigator in Oregon. Of course, yeah. Do you know her? Mm-hmm. I love her, her comment. Her answer, is, when somebody asks her if she carries a gun, she says, only when it matches my shoes. <laughs> that's a good one, yeah. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I like yeah. that. 
Yeah, no, I just I haven't I haven't ever really found that that would be a a, a part of the work that I'm interested in going into. Um, right. I think you know the folks, the colleagues of mine who are security professionals or who are doing much more dangerous kinds of surveillance and other, you know, uh, protection details and so forth, mm-hmm. I understand why they would need that, and um, I certainly respect the work they do. Um, I just find that um, more often than not, I'm, when I'm out in the field, I'm getting into situations where, I, you know, the, the, the kinds of things I need to worry about are bureaucracy and, and making sure that I'm not <laughs> alienating um, those people from whom I need to get information, like apartment managers or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, clerks at the county uh, records office or, you know, what, mm-hmm. what have you. Um, I don't need to, fortunately, I don't need to worry about somebody getting up in my grill with, yeah. a, with a pistol so, when I'm trying to serve them a subpoena or something. But you're doing criminal defense, so you must be going out in somebody's, in various neighborhoods talking to witnesses. Absolutely, yeah. And I've gotten a, a number of doors slammed in my face over the years. And, you know, it's just one of those things you have to, you have to roll with um, and keep moving on. Um, but I, again, don't, you know, I don't find myself, fortunately, getting into really dangerous situations. Um, criminal defense is something that I have been very fortunate to work on intensively over the years. Um, I do find myself nowadays doing more, um, you know, I have, a, I have a family and I have, um, I have obligations and I have, I have a practice that I'm trying to build. Mm-hmm. I find myself going more towards workplace investigations um, right. and various types of civil things. Right. Um, I still definitely do criminal defense, but um, unfortunately, mo- a lot of the time, criminal defense just doesn't pay as well. Um, I would keep doing more of it if I felt like, you know, there was, there was more out there that was more, mm-hmm. more different types of it. But also, I have great colleagues who I call on all the time to take, that I refer cases out to. And I'm very fortunate that I've built mm-hmm. up that network. And, and you know, I've, I've, I've been mentored by and have mentored a lot of other great investigators. And I think that's an essential piece of this work. Again, we're not this lone wolf. We, we collaborate with people. We mentor. Um, we listen to other people's stories. We, we try and understand how to do this work better. We learn from our mistakes. Um, these are all things that people do in all, all kinds of professions, and, and professional investigation is no different. So, um, yeah, I find myself still doing some criminal defense, but a lot less than I used to, really, to, to, to be honest. Well, Eli, you're, you're just a great example, I think, of a professional investigator. I, I really appreciate you being on the show today because there's so many things that I think we have to continue, continually dispel because it's so, you know, the Jim Rockfords and the Magnum PIs are so ingrained into our society that people automatically go there when they talk to us. So thank you so much for being on the show today. We're at the end of our hour, but uh, I, I really value uh, what, you, what you've said and, and how you've uh, handled your, your uh, continuing education to learn everything you can about being a private investigator. And well, thank you so much, Francie. I really appreciate the opportunity, and uh, it's a great show. And I also just appreciate the network for having us on and 
yeah, it's just been it's been great. I'll continue to listen. Oh, great. Okay. And for, for you listeners, PIs Declassified continues to offer content of interest to private investigators and other legal professionals and challenge that existing negative TV and movie myth for our worldwide listeners. So tune in again next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators like Eli Rosenblatt. It's PIs Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel. 